0: How you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. It's Friday, folks. Happy Friday! Hope you're getting ready for a great weekend. You know, spring is starting here real soon. So, just thanks for joining me here again on the podcast. Um, You know, it's Friday, so we're going to have a little bit of fun today. We're, we're going to talk about the big Pepe Le Pew controversy. If you've been following that in the news, this is kind of connected to the whole cancel culture conversation. But um, but if I'm going to talk about Pepe Le Pew and that whole controversy, and Speedy Gonzalez is, by the way, part of this controversial topic, I figure why not talk about Saturday morning cartoons? we will have a little fun on a Friday. So we'll get into that. Plus, I'm going to have a bunch of updates, you know, kind of quick hitting updates on a number of topics that we've previously covered on the podcast, like Poway schools, like the Sarah Hyde name change, like George Floyd. There's big news going on with uh, the George Floyd uh, court case up in Minneapolis. And of course, Padres, Aztecs, you know, a lot of things going on. So we're having fun with this today. You know, we're going to talk some serious things, but we're really going to kick it off mostly here with some, you know, fun stuff with cartoons and, and how this is affecting the the cartoons are affecting the political conversation, which you never thought you'd see or hear in a million years. So it is Friday. We are live streaming. You know, we, of course, we live stream on Facebook and on YouTube. We welcome your thoughts and comments. Just type them in. I'll read them on the air. We can make this a fun, interactive conversation on a Friday, and by all means, let me know what are some of your favorite Saturday morning cartoons when you were a kid. If you can remember some of them, let me know, because we can have a little fun discussion with it. But you know, it's also Friday, so ask me anything. You got any kind of crazy thoughts, questions about anything, you know, let me know, and I'm, I'm happy to kind of have some fun with you. So, okay, let's... Um, Let's get into this Pepe Le Pew thing. Um, now, first of all, do you know who Pepe Le Pew is? <laughs> so Pepe Le Pew is, is a cartoon character and he's a skunk. Um, okay? And he's part of that the whole Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, Porky Pig kind of Warner Brothers cartoons. And he is a skunk and he's French. So that's why I guess he's Le Pew. Uh, So Pepe Le Pew is a French skunk that is constantly, like, womanizing. He's always looking for a girlfriend, and he can never find a girlfriend. And then, of course, there's always some innocent, you know, female black cat in the episode that just accidentally, like, is near the street repair people, and they like accidentally paint a white stripe on the cat, and then Pepe Le Pew thinks the cat is a, is a female skunk, and so the whole cartoon episode is about Pepe Le Pew chasing this this you know essentially he's trying to find a girlfriend, right, and um, and then comedy ensues and, and the whole thing. So now what happened is is that two things that happened with Pepe Le Pew in the current political conversation. So first of all, a New York Times columnist, and his name's Charge M. Blow, that's actually his name. um, He was slamming Pepe Le Pew as he was contributing to rape culture. And, um, you know, Pepe Le Pew is normalizing rape culture. And I'm thinking to myself, I heard that. I go, okay, I get that. I, I see that angle. But why are we bringing up Pepe Le Pew? I mean, for the most part, you know, he's you know, not part of the regular set of current cartoons. I mean, I always kind of had him associated with the cartoons of the 70s and 80s. And, and frankly, he was sort of a bit character on the whole Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show. But, um, but apparently, and I didn't realize this, is that Pepe Lepew was one of a number of Warner Brothers cartoon characters that was in the movie Space Jam with Michael, Michael Jordan. And I think that came out, what, in the 90s? And they're coming out with a new Space Jam. And Pepe Le Pew was supposed to be in it. And they cut him from it. And because of, you know, this whole cancel culture and, you know, that's really they're bringing up now in cancel culture, you thought they might have brought it up last year under the whole Me Too thing. Um, But they're now bringing it up under the cancel culture thing. Um, And what was interesting in the story is that they had apparently in the Space Jam plot, you know, the the second Space Jam movie, which hasn't come out yet, that I guess Pepe Le Pew was supposed to be like this bartender and he's serving drinks. And of course, this female, I don't know, another cat, I guess, that's accidentally got a white stripe on her, orders a drink, right, at the bar. And Pepe Le Pew serves the, the, um, the woman and, of course, hits on her and then the woman fought back in in this clip that should have been in space jam fought back, i guess like threw a drink in his face and slapped him down and It was sort of like female empowering and you know good for her and apparently part of the story is is that the actress who was doing the voice of the woman had previously been a victim of. I don't know if it was sexual harassment or rape or, you know, she was a victim. And for her, this was almost therapeutic. It was a way for her to channel her frustrations. And and she was looking forward to this role in being on screen, and, you know, as the voiceover in a cartoon and to smack Pepe Le Pew down as the bartender. And then it got cut. So that was sort of the irony of it all, that... You know, Pepe Le Pew was getting his just medicine. You know, he was actually you know getting smacked down, and they ended up cutting it. And so, you know, this this whole thing is just you're thinking, okay, it's one thing to talk about Pepe Le Pew of all people, who's just kind of a funny character, but it's almost I feel guilty laughing about Pepe Le Pew. Um, But it's in. It's now become part of this whole discussion, and the Republicans are freaking out about Pepe Le Pew, and they're not just freaking about him. They're they're going on about Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head and and everything else. I mean, like, uh, but like, I want to go back to Pepe Le Pew. It's just some of his quotes are just amazing, and I found some of them, and and like one of them was, "Is permit me to introduce myself. I am Pepe Le Pew, your lover." <laughs> and um when i watch i remember as a little kid i watched that show and you know i was there to watch bugs bunny and the road and this womanizing skunk cartoon came on and i'm thinking why is this on and at first it was funny uh, but then it as the cartoon plays out, you know, Pepe Le Pew is chasing this skunk like over and over again and constantly hitting on this skunk. And I remember for me, when I was like eight or nine years old, I remember thinking to myself that it got boring because the first time was funny, but it just kept repeating itself. But then going back and looking at it as an adult, you have a different perspective. And like I said, it you know, the whole notion of hitting on the, the cat over and over again yeah, I get why it's connected to the rape culture, but it, it's still funny. And, and so I, I'm having this like mixed feeling, like, should I feel bad about this or should I laugh about it or should I be outraged? And, it you know, Pepe Le Pew should be canceled um, like you were seeing with cancel culture. But it's just hilarious that this is part of the news cycle. Like, here's another, like, line from one of his uh, bits was, where are you, my little gumbo of chicken? You French fried shrimp is sizzling for you. (laughs) And he goes, you may call me streetcar because of my desire for you. So it's just, I mean, just a crazy character. I never even thought about Pepe Le Pew for at least a decade (laughs) until it was just brought up, you know, in the last couple of days. And so, of course, going back, Let's get back to a little bit of reality. So the Republicans are freaking out about this. And it's not just Pepe Le Pew, um, but Speedy Gonzales, by the way, was part of this, too. And people were saying Speedy Gonzalez is, you know, which was this little mouse. And, and the episodes for Speedy Gonzales were always in like a Mexican village. And Speedy Gonzales was this really, really fast mouse. And he was a hero to all the other mice. And, you know, the cat would try to get him or there'd be other some nemesis. And Speedy Gonzalez was like a he'd smack these other guys around and like kind of save the day for his fellow mice. But people were saying, well, that's cultural appropriation. And he was stereotyping the Mexicans. And But it turns out that if you talk to a lot of other Mexican people, a lot of them like Speedy Gonzales. They think that he was a great character and was a positive role model. And you ever heard of the um, the comedian Fluffy? Um, what's his name uh, in real life? I know his last name, I think, is Inglésias. I can't remember his first name. But we went and saw Fluffy. My wife and I saw him at the Del Mar Fairgrounds like about three years ago. And he was fantastic. He was really a great comedian. But apparently in Space Jam, he does the voice of Speedy Gonzalez. So he was really excited about this. But then he said, now they're canceling him. He says, you don't want to cancel Speedy Gonzales. You know, we love Speedy Gonzales. But it's it's this we see this everywhere, right? You know, people are looking for people to cancel or to tear down. And there are some rightful people that should be torn down. Um, Donald Trump, uh, Harvey Weinstein, um, Jeffrey Epstein, Bill Cosby. I mean, we can name them um, even. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is in the spotlight right now. But it's just weird that they're going after these cartoon characters. But then it went into the whole Dr. Seuss controversy. And I don't know if you follow that one where um, Dr. Seuss, and, and this is a, this is, I thought was a rightful move. If you go back, it's really interesting. If you go back and look at some of his earlier work, well, not only did he have some children's books. That had you know maybe stereotypical um, or st- racial stereotypes that were kind of built in. Like I remember one of the books, they showed a clip of it on um, on a news article I was reading, and it was a picture of a of a Chinese boy, and he was like in a traditional Chinese dress, uh, and he was where um, actually eating out of a chops out of a bowl with chopsticks, and Dr. Seuss was. I guess, using that as an example to teach children that there are people in other parts of the world and they have different cultures. But some people thought that was um, racial stereotyping and it wasn't appropriate for the 21st century. Well, the Dr. Seuss Foundation was reflective. They sort of looked inward and they said, you know, maybe when that was written culturally, that was accepted. But now in the 21st century, maybe that doesn't make sense. And so the Dr. Seuss Foundation selectively chose on their own to remove like, I don't know, six or eight books from circulation, um, to remove them from their publishing library. And again, Republicans especially were freaking out about this. I mean, there were even some Republicans in the House of Representatives that were reading Green Eggs and Ham like on the House floor or in, in other kinds of live streams that they were doing. And it was just unbelievable how this was going on. And people thought, oh, this is, again, it's cancel culture, and now they're canceling Dr. Seuss. Oh, my God. But if you go back and look at some of Dr. Seuss's earlier work, there was a lot of propaganda. I mean, there was um, propaganda where he was commenting on Hitler during World War II and making comments that definitely were outside the scope of content for children. And- just interesting how, as a society, we've evolved and we've learned. And some of these people, you know, uh, they are out. Of, they're in the spotlight for virtuous reasons. They sort of fade to the background, and then they re-enter the spotlight, but for negative reasons. Uh, Pat Johnson on, on the live stream, he says, "My top cartoons are the Flintstones." Tom and Jerry and Roadrunner and, of course, Bugs Bunny. OK, well, Pat, save that. We're going to take a deep dive into Saturday morning cartoons in a minute. But um, and I thought what the Dr. Seuss Foundation did was righteous. But it's interesting. You know, they this Dr. Seuss Foundation decided that they were going to no longer publish those books, no longer sell those books. But now it's gotten to the point where like eBay was, you know, people will sell books on eBay, used books, sometimes new books. Well, eBay has selectively, um, you know, essentially canceled anybody that's trying to sell those six or eight titles that Dr. Seuss um, decided to no longer publish, even though eBay actually sells like copies of Mein Kampf, you know, from, uh, you know, one of Hitler's works. uh, It's interesting how, you know, the tentacles of all this. And then there's the whole Mr. Potato Head part of this. Again, I can't believe we're podcasting about Speedy Gonzalez and Pepe Le Pew and Mr. Potato Head. But the potato, Mr. Potato Head, right? You know what that is, right? That's like the, it's a toy and it's a plastic potato and you can put eyes and nose and ears on him. And you can also use those add-ons on a real potato. I remember doing that as a kid. And they decided to rename the family you know, or like they really renamed the brand. It used to be Mr. Potato Head. Now it's just Potato Head. And immediately a lot of conservatives were freaking out, like, oh my God, cancel culture. You're removing the gender from this. And w- what the Potato Head people <laughs> were doing was just, they were just, you know, kind of normalizing. And they say we have the Potato Head family, and there's still Mr. Potato Head. He's part of the Potato Head family, and there's still Mrs. Potato Head. And so it's just, And it's been politicized. That's what's crazy about this. That's what's insane about the political commentary is it's turned into this. And I guess here I am. I'm amplifying it in my podcast, but it's nuts. Um, And so, you know, again, some of the, the Democrats in the House are, you know, kind of slapping the Republicans around like Tim Ryan. If you remember him, he was a presidential candidate in 2000, excuse me, in 2020. And he was telling the Republicans, quit talking about Dr. Seuss. And even like AOC was saying, well, while you guys are talking about Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head, we're out here passing a one point nine trillion dollar stimulus bill. But even that I've commented on that. I think that's crazy, too. I mean, that that whole stimulus bill, not just Biden's stimulus bill, but all of Trump's stimulus bills from 2020, all of those were, frankly, Ways to enrich the wealthy. I mean, they're flooding the market with all this cash. People are going to spend it. Corporations are going to be way more profitable as a result. And now, wealthy stockholders are going to see their um, their net worth go up. And and with all this this money that's been created, that's been printed out of thin air, it's all going to find its way into the pockets of the rich. And so, I'm thinking, well, yeah, the People on one side are talking about, you know, Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head and Pepe Le Pew. But even those that think they're passing serious uh, bills, I mean, there's a lot of craziness in those bills themselves. So the whole discussion is something. Um, But I do think it's healthy. Kind of like when we talked about the Sarah High School renaming here in San Diego, when the entity that owns the brand— like in the case of Mister Potato Head, uh, changing its name to the just Potato Head, or even Dr. Seuss, when they're reflective of their own brand, and they're saying, "Does this match up with the values of the 21st century?" Okay, that's a healthy process. You know, the 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 author. Well, in many cases, the author may have passed. Like you know, what's his name? Theodore Geisel is the real Dr. Seuss. He's a La Jolla guy. In fact, Central Library at UC San Diego is now the Geisel Library, named after Dr. Seuss. Well, the foundation, you know, still runs his publishing entity. And if they're self-reflective and they want to make these adjustments, good for them. That's not necessarily cancel culture. I mean, cancel culture is like when the mob wants to tear people down, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, and we can go through that. But it—it's just I don't know the whole Pepe Le Pew thing. I, I'm to me, it's kind of funny. I mean it, that he's been brought up into this discussion, and again, I go back and you think about it as an adult, and some of it's just I, I feel awful saying so. But it, part of it is funny. But then in the 21st century, it does. You're not supposed to laugh at these sort of things. But so, anyways, I thought. You know, if I'm going to talk about Pepe Le Pew, I wanted to get into Saturday morning cartoons. And how about you? But, you know, man, that was a big part of my life as a kid. Um, And uh, oh, by the way, Jamie Tobit here on the on the live stream chiming in. McElliot's Pool was one of the Dr. Seuss books selected to stop publishing. It is still my favorite of his stories. And I felt while there are cultural stereotypes, they were pretty low on the outrage scale. But that's the publisher's choice. I agree with you, uh, Jamie. That's exactly what it is. And, and and I respect, yeah, the publisher's choice. I used to send copies to friends with young kids for $14.95 through Amazon just a month ago, and then they jumped to $4,000 on eBay before being shut down. Yeah, so I guess the whole supply and demand thing hit eBay and these banned, you know, it's, it's kind of like the forbidden fruit syndrome, right? When, when, they, when they become banned, then suddenly everybody wants it. Um. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Jamie. I don't actually, I don't remember that book, McElliott's Pool. I mean, you say it's one of his first books. I, I, I've i read, I mean, I remember as a child reading so many of those. I mean, how many books did he publish? I mean, there had to be at least 20 of them, but I don't remember McEliot's Pool. Um, Pat Johnson goes on to say, where I agree, times have changed and we as a society have grown in what is our society norms and values, but- the cancel culture is and can erase our past and things that are past uh, of the U.S. history. Look at the depth of history in the rest of the world, something we will not, ha- will not happen on the road we're on. So that's the thing is when this cancel culture, does it change history? Well, if it's done correctly, it doesn't change history at all. It just people today just sort of reprioritize their values. That's different than changing history. It's almost like you know when they tear down the Confederate statue um, in the public square in a city in the Southern United States. That's not changing history. I mean, the history is still the history. Is Civil War happened, and we can go down that whole process. But moving that that statue to a museum doesn't change history. In fact, it may enhance history because then the statue is in an historical context. Now. Does cancelling Pepe Le Pew from the Space Jam 2 movie (laughs) change history? Well, probably not. Um, Does the Dr. Seuss, you know, deciding to not publish six of his books, does that change history? Probably not. Um, History is what history is. Now, granted, it'll be spun. And, you know, they always say the winners are the ones that write history. So, yeah, some people will spin it in certain ways and downplay things. But in some ways, this is just sort of how society evolves and grows. And sometimes society makes mistakes, right? People make mistakes and then it self corrects sometimes. And it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. But let's get back to the cartoons. Um, So when I remember I was a kid and it was in the early 70s and the Saturday morning cartoons were for me was like must see TV because this is a kind of I'm going to go way back and this is now. I'm going to be imitating my grandparents when they told me they used to be able to go see a double feature for two bits, or they had to walk to school uphill in both directions in the snow. Well, wh- when I was a kid, of course, there were only you know three national networks: NBC, CBS, ABC. Then there was PBS, and then there were about two or three independent stations on UHF or VHF, and you had the rabbit ears, and and cartoons were. You know, they were available after school on Monday through Friday, but there was spotty. And a lot of times, a lot of those cartoons were really old or frankly, weren't cartoons at all because it was the Little Rascals or it was the Three Stooges. But Saturday morning cartoons, I mean, that was the bomb. That that was what I looked forward to. And I know a lot of my friends look forward to it. And then you remember like when I, in the fall, of course, is when the the television industry would have all their new shows. And they would break usually in the fall in, in September. And that was a big thing for the networks to get more people to watch. But I remember that in TV Guide, who, again, when I was like seven or eight years old, this was like my Bible. Um, TV Guide would have once a year a full spread preview of all the new cartoons that were coming out this season. And it was in the, I don't know, I guess the pre, you know the, the preface section before you actually got to the TV listings. And it might be like four pages long. And I just remember as a kid, it was just, that was such a big deal. So I was, as I was preparing for this podcast, I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to go through a list of these cartoons and we can have some fun and share some comments. I got my own top 10 lists that I made of my favorite cartoons of Saturday morning. Um, but in my honorable mention list, which is kind of long, but because I loved all this. And I had the, you know, Pat has the Flintstones, Tom and Jerry, the Roadrunner, and of course, Bugs Bunny, which are all fantastic. But remember, the Flintstones was like, again, this is a little bit before my time, but I think that was a primetime television show, like in the evenings. And then it went syndication, but the syndicated was more Monday through Friday, if I recall. It wasn't necessarily Saturday morning, although they did have the Pebbles and Bam Bam show on Saturday mornings, which was a thing for a bit. But for me, like... um, like I remember the Jackson Five. This is my honorable mention. Remember the Jackson Five? They had their own cartoon. And it was really good. And uh, Michael, of course, was the star. And back then, Michael was like ten years old. Um, and then, of course, if they had the Jackson Five, they had to have the Osmond brothers, which was not as good as the Jackson Five. But that was out there. Um, Scooby, doo, the Scooby's All Star Laugh Olympics, um, Pebbles and Bam Bam, Josie and the P- Pussycats. And remember. There was H.R. Puffin stuff. And then there was that other show that was similar called Lidsville that it wasn't really a cartoon. It was like humans and these puppet characters that look like mascots, like the swinging friar from the pottery games. Um, That was interesting to me. I mean, Top Cat, Underdog, you know, Woody Woodpecker. But those are all my honorable mention list. My top 10 list, and I'll work my way up. Number 10 for me and this is a little bit odd, was, and if you, I don't know if you ever saw this show and it was on PBS it was called Alphabet Soup. And this was a really cool show. If you get a chance to go on YouTube and look at it, or even just watch the video of the theme to Alphabet Soup, the music and the art was really cool. And it was just, it was, it was very seventies-ish. It had kind of an urban feel to it. Um, and I I remember really digging that show and because it was unlike anything on television. But and it was a cartoon and and there were again a lot of these kind of groovy 70s kind of vibes in it, and it was neat. Um, my number nine on my top ten list of Saturday morning cartoons, um, and this really technically wasn't a, a show. But it should have been, and it, it's a great one, is Schoolhouse Rocks, right? Remember Conjunction Junction and um, all of those episodes, you know, they were teaching you math, teaching you about how the, the legislative process works, like I'm just the bill, um, teaching you about language, just a really well done um, educational bit that was fun and had songs. And I remember memorizing those songs. And then, even today, it's kind of cool that one of the senators um, from Nebraska, he's a Republican. His name's Ben Sass. And from, one, from my perspective, he's one of the reasonable Republicans that's in the Senate. And he often will reference Schoolhouse Rock in a lot of his talks because he talks about the way Congress and the executive branch and the judicial branch, how they're all supposed to work. And right now, everything is always distorted. And a lot of times he'll go back and reference Schoolhouse Rock, which I think is a neat a neat thing for a senator to do, kind of reconnect with his people. But to me, that was my number nine. My number eight, and this was kind of an obscure one, it was the Wacky Races. You remember that one? and it was kind of like they had all these different race cars and these different characters with these they, the, like the two caveman guys had a caveman car and then there was Penelope Pitstop and then she had the car with the with the umbrella on it and then there was Dick Dastardly and Muttley and they had this souped up hot rod and and there were all and i think the, the there was a kind of a Adams family, Munsters type family that had their own kind of creepy, like spooky car. Um, And they'd have these races and it was like a cartoon version of Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise in Cannonball Run. And I remember really loving that show. And then I remember remember Dick Dastardly and Muttley were on a bunch of other shows too. Uh, But that one didn't hang around for very long and I was always disappointed. Um, My number seven... Um is what one I already referenced, the Scooby's All-Star Laugh Olympics. Because this is one it was remember back then um, on ABC TV, they used to have the superstars, right? Where they would get athletes and and TV actors and movie actors, and they would have this decathlon and and these kind of fun races and competitions. Well, the Scooby All-Star Laugh Olympics did the same thing. They brought in all these cartoon characters that normally don't interact with each other. And suddenly they were, they were all on the, on the, in the same show together and working as a team. And I mean, I thought that was really wonderful. And again, I'm like seven or eight years old. So it really fired me up. Um, My number, my number six on the list is Fat Albert and the Cosby kids. And I'll tell you what, um, granted, you know, when I grew up, uh, you know, white family, living in a white community, not very many black people that I interacted with, especially when I was really young, like seven, eight, nine years old, Um, you know, watching that show kind of normalized um, to a degree, you know, kind of black culture. And I know it's a cartoon, but it, it, it kind of broke down some of the barriers, you know, broke, break down some of the fear that potentially could have existed Um, and made you really like some of these characters and kind of understand that, you know, they were living in a big city and I was living in a suburb, which was different. But it it made, you know, black characters more relatable. And again, I know it's a cartoon, but as a seven-year-old kid, I thought that that was good. And I look back at it as an adult and I know that was good for me. Um, And then on a similar note, my number five, was the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, and granted, I love basketball. I've always loved basketball. So that was the main reason I loved that show. But you know, again, I think there was a certain amount of normalizing of black culture, at least me learning and understanding. But really it was basketball that really drove me on that show. But that was a fun one. And then my number four, and this was one, and again, I don't know if this was technically a Saturday morning show or if this was maybe it might've been a Saturday morning show in the sixties, but then went into syndication on weekdays, but it was Speed Racer. Remember that one? Um, Speed Racer. That was his his first name was Speed. And his, I guess his last name was Racer and his, uh, he had the Mach five was kind of his nemesis, but it turned out to really be his brother. And it was a Japanese anime kind of cartoon. It was voiced over. And um, there was what Trixie and Pops and man, I love that show. But I remember in the Bay Area, you know, you'd get it and you open up the TV guide and it would show like I would get the San Francisco channels and those are the ones that would come in clear on my rabbit ears. But for some reason, Speed Racer was always on either the San Jose channels or the, the Sacramento channels, which I could never get reception for. So I remember my experience with Speed Racer was very limited, but I still love the show. And I remember as a little kid, my mom bought me um, a bedspread and pillowcases of race cars because I wanted to be a race car driver. And, and I remember that eventually kind of got me into slot cars, and I still have a slot car set to this day. Um, but Speed Racer was a fun show. And I know they made a movie about it. I never went and saw it, but maybe I should. Uh, but I have that as my number four. And then... And then after that, my top three. And for me, the top three really separated themselves from four through 10. And number three for me was Super Friends. You remember that? Uh, And that was Superman, Batman and Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman. And they were the main characters. And then sometimes some other characters would come in, like the Green Lantern or the Flash, and then they had the uh, the Wonder Twins, remember them? The boy and the girl, and they would like put their fists together and they say, form of an ice bridge, you know, and they transform into something. But really, they, it was cool. Again, it was like the the All-Stars, you know, where these crime fighters that normally exist in their own world, they would come together and work cooperatively. And you'd see them interacting with each other. It's It's almost like in a lot of sitcoms, I always like it when you see a character on what sitcom appear as a guest in another sitcom in character um, because it connects uh, separate worlds. And Super Friends was good that way. And then they were always at the Justice League headquarters and they had that narrator that was great. Like, meanwhile, at Justice League headquarters, you know, and it was just a great show. So Jamie Tobit goes on to say, Bay Area KTVU Channel 2. Oh, Charlie and Humphrey. That's a name that goes way back. And Captain Cosmic and Creature Features. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but definitely Charlie and Humphrey. That was kind of like a they were like the hosts of the the children's shows, not I think on weekdays after school, if I recall, Charlie and Humphrey. Which was was it Charlie was a human, and I think Humphrey was like a like a puppet, right? Like a sock puppet or something. I don't remember Captain Cosmic. I know Creature Features was a thing like late at night and they showed all those spooky movies. Um, But yeah, that was, yeah. And Jamie Tobit goes on to say local puppets and cartoons. Yeah. So, but usually that on the independent stations like KTVU Channel 2, which was our number one independent station in San Francisco, they would mostly show a lot of syndicated shows. I remember watching Star Trek all the time in the 70s on Channel 2 and Hogan's Heroes um and then I would get into um yeah, after school is when I would see a lot of you know, Flintstones or you know, Three Stooges was always on that station, which and KTVU still exists to the day this day and I think They even do a lot of Giants games. And in fact, they might have even done a lot of San Francisco Giants games back when I was a kid, too. So, And I remember their, not their logo, but their featured photo was always a picture of Sutro Tower uh, out there in San Francisco. And it was always like, you know, half covered in fog. Really good memories. Um, So anyway, Super Friends was my number three. So working my way, Pat, you might be able to figure out what might be my number one, because you've already mentioned it. But number two for me was the Pink Panther. And I I just love that whole vibe and the music and the cartoon style was really different. And the Pink Panther, of course, he never spoke, but he was this cool kind of groovy guy and he'd get into predicaments and he'd solve his problems. And there was always a couple of nemesis he was always dealing with. And then um, then there were a couple of other side shows on that one. That I remember one of them was um, there was The Inspector. And then there was another one about the ant and the aardvark. And I remember the aardvark had this crazy um, voice that I later learned was a voiceover guy that was impersonating Jackie Mason, who is a famous comedian. And even back then, he was an old timer. Uh, but I remember that show was, it was a lot of fun, the Pink Panther. And, and then my number one, of course, um, was uh, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour, unquestionably number one. And, you know, the Bugs Bunny stuff was always great, but it was really the Wile Coyote and the Roadrunner that was just so fantastic. And a lot of times I'll, just go on YouTube and I'll watch a Roadrunner cartoon. And I remember there's been times I've binge watched a bunch of them and it's just good stuff, but it's a lot of the other characters. Now, you know, Speedy Gonzalez is part of that. He was a relatively small character in the whole scheme of things. And, and so was Pepe Lepew. But But like the Tasmanian Devil was great. I mean, even Marvin the Martian was fantastic. I mean, I had a Marvin the Martian sweatshirt for a long time as an adult. It was a lot of fun. Um, Foghorn Leghorn was great. And and then Wiley e. Coyote, you know, he had the most of the time he was with a roadrunner, but then he had other episodes where he was, um, you know, battling against the sheepdog. And I mean, it was just great stuff, great, great stuff. And then, you know, the, all the cartoons have changed so much over time. You know, in the 80s, I was in college. So of course, I wasn't as into it. Um, but I know a lot of the cartoons have become a lot more technical and a lot more commercialized, like with the Transformers and. I mean, cartoons have evolved significantly over time. Uh, Pete Neal chimes in, what about Captain Kangaroo doesn't even make the list? Oh my God, 29 years of syndication means nothing. Yeah, I remember Captain Kangaroo was... God, was he on... Jamie, was he on Channel 2 as well in the Bay Area? And that was like early morning. Like if you were... You would watch that if you were like in preschool or if you may have been homesick, because I remember there was Romper Room, and then there was Captain Kangaroo. And Captain Kangaroo had Mr. Green Jeans. And didn't they do a thing where all the ping pong balls would fall on Mr. Green Jeans' head? And then they had other segments where they would do things. Um, yeah, Captain Kangaroo was all right. And what's that? What's that song? Is it by the, is it the Statler Brothers? They do um, smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo. Now, now, don't look at me. I've got nothing to do. (laughs) Um, What's that? So those lyrics. That's a great song, by the way. But yeah, Captain Kangaroo, you you know, was Captain Kangaroo part of the Saturday morning cartoons? I don't know if he was. Um, But yeah, for me, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner was fantastic. And so. So, you know, in just this week, Pepe Le Pew is in the news and I'm like, what the hell's going on, Pepe Le Pew? And he's, you know, he, not only is he getting slammed by a New York Times columnist, and I'm thinking that, you know, does Pepe Le Pew promote rape culture? Well, I, you have to say, yeah, but it's like a cartoon and it's silly. And it how does it really influence people to reinforce rape culture? I mean, do people rape people because they watch Pepe Le Pew. I don't know about that, but um, but it is being taught to young children. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but Pepe Le Pew was cut from Space Force. So, um, all right. So enough of the cartoon bit. I, I'm going to get into a little bit more serious news, but I, I just wanted to have fun with that. I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, a little walk down memory lane, but you do a podcast like this. I try to do it every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two. And, you know, sometimes I'm going to, have a little fun. And it's Friday. So I thought, let's, let's talk about Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, So anyways, I always invite you to, you know, like, share, subscribe, follow. Um, That's the best thing you can do on this podcast. If you really want to support what we're doing is uh, share it with a friend, you know, and uh, let them know about this podcast. And we cover a lot of local issues and we're going to get into some of them in here in just a minute. We cover local issues here in San Diego County, and in Poway, Uh, maybe broader scope issues in California. Of course, national politics, we'll talk about culture, society, like talking about electric vehicles. And and when Pete Neal's on, we love talking Corvettes. Uh, Jamie has been a a guest on the show. We talked about Star Wars, and that was a wonderful episode. Thank you for that, Jamie. So we cover a lot of different things on this podcast. Uh, So uh, what I try to do, I try to... Keep it fun and and light at times. Sometimes we have more serious discussion, but I also want to try to have as much local content as I can, just because sometimes there's a lack of quality discussion of local content, right? I mean, we hear enough of the talking heads talking about um, national issues, national news, and there's a million spin doctors on that. But, you know, I think it's fun that we can talk about things here in San Diego County, Uh, and not just in the city of San Diego, and not just here in Poway, but in all little nooks and crannies and neighborhoods here. And we've talked about Oceanside and Santee and a bunch of other things here in San Diego County. So yeah, if you could spread the word. And oh, there it is. Uh, Pat Johnson said, Flowers on the Wall by the Statler Brothers. Yeah, that's the song. So that's the one with the Captain Kangaroo lyric in it. But anyways, um, let's get into, I just want to go through kind of a quick hit on a bunch of topics. And some of them we've I've got some updates on some things and a couple of other ones that are worthy of discussion. But again, I welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. Just type them in. I'll read them on the air and we'll have fun with it. Um, I want to just give a shout out and a thank you to some of our listeners and viewers that are participating on the John Riley Project Insiders group, which is our special kind of smaller closed group on Facebook. And by the way, everybody's invited to join. If you do a search for John Riley Project on Facebook, you'll see the regular kind of fan site, which is the one that has all the episodes on it where we live stream. But there's a separate one, the John Riley Project Insiders group, that's in, that you have to answer some questions to get in, but I let everyone in. And we have a lot of our frequent you know, loyal listeners and viewers will comment on there. And, uh, one of our, uh, frequent listeners, uh, Bernie, uh, was sharing some comments there about the Sarah high school name change. And it was interesting. He brought up the thought that, um, cause we were commenting about how Sarah high, you know, of course changed its name to Canyon Hills high school. A lot of this driven by, um, the need, you know, again, some would say this is cancel culture, or maybe this is a self-reflection of values, which is kind of how I saw it. But the students there led a charge. The San Diego Unified School District changed the name of the high school, driven mostly because of Father Unipro and the whole series of 21 missions throughout the state of California, that it wasn't all, you know, benevolent love and religious figures, but there was... There was slavery, there was there were wars, there was persecution of natives. And there's a very mixed story with that whole uh, piece of history. And sometimes we only hear part of it. Well, um, there's some really great discussion online. And Bernie was talking about how it was interesting that I guess the at some point, maybe in the 1500s, the Pope in Rome issued a, uh, what do they call it? A bull, you know, which is sort of an edict, a declaration. And the Pope said that the, the natives cannot be enslaved because they also have a soul and they are um, they are also God's people. And so the Spaniards, as they were, you know, conquering California and the West Coast, uh they had a, maybe a different approach than the English and the others that were maybe of different Christian religions, of you know Protestant religions that didn't necessarily follow the teachings of the pope. And he said that uh, – and I thought this was a really interesting point where maybe the English when they came to America, they saw the natives as savages, as heathens that were devils and, and they had to be wiped out. Whereas the Spaniards, maybe to a degree, were more sympathetic and more willing to cooperate. But even then, we know that there was, there was um, genocide even on the West Coast. But interesting to think of it from the perspective of a, of a pope and, a, and their declaration and how the perspective of the Spanish settlers may have been different than the perspective of the English settlers that didn't necessarily follow the teachings of the pope. Um, and the other kind of quick correction from my, our last podcast on, on that particular issue, I was talking about how I went to all the missions, or at least half of them, and I've got to go to the other half. And I had mind, mind a brain freeze on the mission up in, in Oceanside. I kept calling it Mission Del Rey, but it's, it's actually Mission San Luis Rey. That's the correct name. And again, I cannot encourage it enough to go visit that mission. Besides the fact that they got a great tour and you're going to learn about history and and that's exciting in and of itself, but next door, like down the street is the most amazing Mexican bakery uh, that makes fresh homemade tortillas and has all kinds of baked goods and you can have lunch there and it's fantastic. Um, so can't recommend that enough. So that's sort of like in the Eastern section of Ocean Oceanside and it's a really neat place. Um, Okay, so again, I'm kind of I'm going to bounce around here quite a bit, but I want to follow up a little bit on our previous conversation about Poway Unified School District and the reopening. Remember, we had talked about how Poway Unified School District had, you know, their superintendent Marion Kim Phelps and the school board were really trying to reopen the schools, and they had been successful reopening K through five. but they have problems opening six through 12 because of these state edicts, some of these regulations because of COVID. And Poway Unified felt they had done their due diligence and had done disinfecting and had improved or changed all the filtration devices in every one of the classrooms, had prioritized getting vaccines, and they just really did everything in their power, they felt, to open. And the state said, no, you can't open. And and Poway wasn't alone in this. I think Carlsbad was also denied. And there was one other school district in in San Diego County that was denied. And what was interesting is, just, and I just saw this on the news, is there was this big, like, let them, uh, let them learn rally. And so apparently a bunch of parents showed up at the school board meeting. And well, actually they can't be present for the meetings, right? Because they're closed and the meetings are live streamed. But they were out in front of the school board or the you know the school district headquarters over in Carmel Mountain Ranch and they had signs and let them read and you know these parents got organized and it and the news media was there covering it and it was really good and and you know the parents were making a solid case you know they're they're talking about how you know it's been a year i mean we're right now at the covid 1 year anniversary and a lot of their children were um at home, isolated in a bedroom, watching Zoom for six hours a day. They could see there was depression with their children, that they were desperate to get them back in the classroom so they can re-engage, you know, rebuild their their social skills, reconnect with their friends, and frankly, get better education. Um, And there was one young woman, uh, a student, and she said, that she decided to actually graduate early because she was able to get all of her credits done, I think, halfway through her senior year. So she didn't have to go to spring semester or maybe it was one of the trimesters. She was able to graduate early because she said, well, the heck with this. You know, I'm going to just get started with the rest of my life and see if she could register for spring classes at her university where she planned to go. But people were upset and, you know, they were saying, well, you know, sports has started and that's great. And, and by the way, Friday Night Lights is going to start again tonight. They're going to restart high school football. And but even though sports was allowed, they still couldn't get the kids in the classroom. And so then the school board and the superintendent came out uh, out of the building, onto the sidewalk. And again, I'll give them credit. You know, Marion Kim Phelps was out there with a megaphone like George W. Bush after 9-11. And she's talking to these people, and making. She's basically saying, "We want to open the schools, but we can't. Um, and we're trying. But and we hear you. We hear you. Um, but Gavin Newsom and the people in Sacramento won't let us open. Now they believe that San Diego is is going to very sh- shortly go from the purple tier to the red tier, and they think that's going to happen you know, the next time they do a major update. And if it does, then if we go into the red tier, then we can welcome back the grades six through 12 to the schools. And I think that'll be a huge win. But the parents, a lot of them were complaining. They're saying, well, you know, the private schools, they've been open since September with in-person education. And and like, remember we talked about La Jolla Country Day and they had they had upgraded the, the uh, filtration systems that, to move the air and circulate the air more effectively. And they really have had very little, if any, problems with COVID. Um, they kind of figured out the best way to manage it. And in fact, Poway Unified was trying to replicate that model. I don't know if they necessarily were aiming to replicate La Jolla Country Day, but they were effectively doing that by getting the kids out of the classroom and moving them around, getting fresh air into the classroom, recycling the air. But still, um, you know, parents were rightfully frustrated. And I think about my wife and I, we comment about this. I mean, imagine if you have a child, well, it's one thing that, you know, they're removed from class and, and it's it, it sucks and it's a drag. But imagine if your kid's a senior in high school and they're like missing out on all of these Really important, sort of lifetime moments. Um, you know, they've been they've been robbed. But the seniors last year were robbed, and the seniors this year likely will be robbed of many of these things. Um, it's it's just brutal, and so there's just so much frustration. I think we need to get the kids back to school because we already know that it's going to be safer in a school, especially if they with all those upgrades with air filtration, than it is in the general public. And then, meanwhile, we've got case rates are in decline and steep decline. We have got vaccination; it's happening. We need to allow things to open up. But even Gavin Newsom is saying we're we're not going to be back to normal, you know, for a long time, maybe if forever. I mean, now the the equity issue is becoming integrated into this, you know, as far as how we come out of this and ensuring that there is equity with all, you know, different. Political identity groups and making sure there's balance and equal outcomes and and equal impact that's felt because of COVID and and when we achieve that then that will be the new normal. So again, it, it's being politicized, but I think we just got We got to get things back on track. Um, Pat Johnson said a little trivia: March 11th was a year since the World Organization declared COVID a pandemic. Did you know that March eleventh, nineteen eighteen, was the first reported case of the Spanish flu? Wow, I didn't know that. And yeah, Pete Neal, jumping in. Thanks, Pat. In in personal cut convergent coils, right? Yeah, this these intersections of things. Um, yeah, the other thing that's crazy about the Spanish flu—I mean, didn't it start like in Kansas? I think that's my understanding. And they 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 named it the Spanish flu for some reason. Again, is this? another kind of racist naming of some kind. I don't know. I don't understand all the history. But um, yeah, it's been a year. So yesterday, one year. And I remember I was talking to my son about it. And you remember in the NBA, there was a couple of um, NBA players on the Utah Jazz that had gotten COVID. And that triggered the shutdown of the NBA, which then eventually shut down March Madness last year, which was... Awful for Aztec fans. We finally had a team that could actually be a Final Four contender, and they got their season robbed, which was just awful. I mean, including having players come to San Diego State specifically because they knew they had a chance to advance and to get into postseason play, which they could never do at their previous schools. You know, they wanted to join a winner Malachi Flynn, Janzi Wetzel, KJ Fagan, they all came here specifically to have a shot, to play in March Madness, and then they would have been one of the top seeds, and then boom, the whole thing is taken away. And Pat Johnson said, yeah, it was Kansas. The Spanish flu started in Kansas, which makes no sense. Why don't they call it the Jayhawk flu, <laughs> you know, instead of the Kansas flu? But um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of kids that, you know, they, they've been robbed of that senior experience, and it's a damn shame. Um, now, from my unscientific perspective, I think we should be opening up the schools based on what little I know of the science of it, but it sounds like the right thing to do. Frankly, I think we could have opened up the schools a long time ago. The private schools have been open for in-person instruction since September. There was one parent on this KUSI um, news segment, and I'll include the video link in the show notes. She said she pulled her kid out of Poway Unified and and enrolled them at Maranatha, you know, a Christian school up in the uh, 4S del Sur area. Um, because they they felt that their child was languishing, you know, stuck in a bedroom looking at Zoom for six hours a day. It's just brutal. And I I feel for these people. Um, A couple other quick hitting comments. And Pat, this one's for you. Um, I was thinking about this after our discussion on Wednesday about, remember I was talking about corporate taxes, and I think corporate taxes should be zero. And I made my case, you know, because again, who pays corporate taxes? People pay corporate taxes. The shareholders pay, but so do customers, because that's where the revenue comes from in order to pay the tax. And employees pay kind of indirectly because they might be um, neglected opportunities to make more. But I thought about it a little further, Pat. And you know what's interesting is I own a corporation. I have an S corporation and an S corporation is interesting because- It's what's called a pass-through corporation, right? The corporation itself really isn't taxed. I mean, there's some, you know, of course, my corporation will pay sales tax when it's appropriate, pays payroll taxes appropriately, um, has to pay the annual incorporation tax to the state of California of $800 a year, regardless of how profitable my business is. But still, the business isn't really taxed on income. It's a pass-through. And all of the so-called profit that comes from the business just flows into my personal tax return, that makes sense to me. And I think if corporate taxes were zero, then corporate taxes would, I mean, the corporations would effectively be pass-throughs just like S-Corps, but then all of that profit would land on the personal tax return of each of those shareholders. And And depending on your perspective, you might think that's actually a better thing because the shareholders are going to probably end up having to pay a higher tax rate, especially if they're uber wealthy. They'll end up paying a higher um, effective tax rate when all of the tax brackets are are kind of uh, merged together and you kind of look at the net net of it all. They potentially may be paying a higher tax rate than the corporate tax rate, which right now is what, like 20 so 22%, I think, is Trump lowered it. So, so I think if we think of it in those terms, it's, the taxes are still going to be paid, Pat. Um, they just might be paid by a different entity rather than taxing the corporation. Um, and after all, if the corporation is paying taxes on the profit and then the profit, then whatever is left over, then goes to the shareholders and they got to pay taxes on it again. I mean, it's really kind of a form of double taxation, you could argue, but interesting. And I, I just thought I'd share that nugget. A um, couple more things. Um, tomorrow is daylight savings time, right? Starting. And I know voters, we, um, uh, we voted to get rid of daylight savings time, but yet it still continues. What's going on? I, I think the state's got to get approval, I think, from Congress. And that hasn't happened. It kind of goes to show you that a lot of times, sometimes we vote and it means nothing. Sometimes we vote and... It has no impact. And this is one example of it. Um, we, need, we need to be permanently on daylight savings time, in my opinion. But we got to switch our clocks this weekend. That's important. A um, couple more things on my quick hitting list of things that are on my mind. I saw this bit on Twitter, and it was a video excerpt of the Nebraska governor, and his name is Pete Ricketts. He's a Republican. And he was saying just shrieking, if you legalize marijuana, you're going to kill your kids. And it was the most, it was the biggest wad of nonsense I think I've ever seen. Um, Basically saying marijuana is a dangerous drug and your children are going to die. And this is outrageous. Um, And just this fear mongering. And we look at the science of this. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that children should be smoking marijuana. Don't take me wrong. But Marijuana is a relatively, you know, safe drug. I mean, it, it, it actually has a medicinal value to it. It heals people. It, it helps people that have epilepsy and other kinds of health-related issues. Um, it's, it's frankly, I mean, how often do you ever hear of someone dying of a marijuana overdose? <laughs> like, never. Um, but, you know, alcohol, we have overdoses. And, uh, and prescription drugs, there's overdoses. The fear mongering around marijuana just still continues, and I'm thinking, what are these people doing? Th- this is silly. Again, I don't. I'm not saying that we should, you know, encourage kids to take it, but we got to get over this fear mongering. It's like they're still living the reefer madness movie. Um, and I've often talked about it. I think marijuana should be. They should legalize it. Some people they say it should be legalized like they legalize wine, right? There has to be. You have to be of age to buy it, but. And it has to go through licensed dealers like a liquor store would. But from another perspective, I've heard someone else say we should regulate marijuana the same way we regulate onions, <laughs> you know, that it should just be accessible um, or it, certainly it shouldn't be criminalized. Sh- people shouldn't be put in jail for it. But that's what we're seeing here. Pete Ricketts, Republican governor of Nebraska, if you legalize marijuana, you're going to kill your kids. Like, oh, my God. Um. Yeah, moving on. A couple more things. Um, following the news, George Floyd. Remember him? Uh, George Floyd, of course. Unfortunately, was the the man that was killed in Minneapolis, um, killed by a police officer, and that his case went to trial. The estate of George Floyd sued, and I think it was in a civil case, and the family was awarded twenty seven million dollars. So, so good for them. Um, I mean, this was clear case of murder, and I know that a um, police officer is going to be tried, and I, I think they're going to try him for what they call third-degree murder, which is a thing in Minnesota. I don't think third-degree exists in California. And I know when I'm thinking first-degree, second-degree, third-degree, I always have to think, is first-degree more severe or is third-degree more severe? What is it? Of course, first-degree is the most severe. They originally weren't going to make this a murder case because they thought it was part of the job of the police officer. But now they're finally going to try this officer. And I'm not sure if any of his um, teammates in the, police of, in the police force are going to be tried, but he will be for murder. But George Floyd, um, his estate granted $27 million. And people are saying, finally, Black Lives Matter, you know, which I mean, that's, that's a reasonable approach to that. Now, unfortunately, who's going to really pay? Well, you think, well, the government's going to pay, right? But where's the government gets money? Gets its money from the people. And so the people are the ones that are ultimately going to be paying to settle this lawsuit for a corrupt police officer. It's a shame. Uh, but you know this family deserves to be um, compensated because of this wrongful death. Now, there's still a lot of nonsense online. There's still a lot of, I've seen some of this chatter. I don't know how sincere these people are. But there's a bunch of dirtbags on online right now that are are trying to say that George Floyd should have been killed and that really he didn't die by the, the knee of the police officer, but he really died of a fentanyl overdose. And they're trying to make it like look like this guy is a drug addict and a and a, you know, sort of someone that's not worthy of really even being saved. There's still some of that being talked about online. And I'm thinking, who are these people? And why do they believe this nonsense? And and even if George Floyd was on fentanyl, how could you sl- slam the victim? <laughs> um, I think a lot of this is some of the, the Blue Lives Matter people that are just so willing to defend the police no matter what they do. Um, but it's just a shame. We have still have a long ways to go to, to educate people properly and to overcome either the racist opinions or um, or overcome a lot of these flawed policies, this war on drugs that ends up killing people, throwing huge numbers of, of people of color in, in jails, or frankly, some of these overly aggressive police officers that aren't protecting and serving, but instead violating our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's what happened in this case. So George Floyd, the estate, $27 million, uh, Pat Johnson on the live stream says, you are correct, Congress has to ratify all time zone changes. So what the hell's going on? How come um, Diane Feinstein isn't pushing this? How come Scott Peters is not pushing us? Or maybe he is. I know um, Justin Amash, the former Republican congressman, or actually former independent and then later libertarian congressman from the state of Michigan, he often comments that Congress doesn't work the way we learned that it worked in Schoolhouse Rock with it just a bill. Um, Congress doesn't work like uh, uh, what was the actor saying, Jimmy Stewart in the TV sh- or the movie Mister Smith Goes to Washington. It doesn't work like that anymore either. A lot of times, senators and congressmen, there's not a lot of debate on the topics. They're all negotiated back in a backroom deals and then presented to the the House or presented to the Senate, very little amendments, very little debate, and it's either voted yes or no. I wonder if this is the problem. I wonder if our local California representatives just can't break through and get this on the docket to be considered and voted on by Congress. Um, we gotta, I mean if the people want this, we gotta I mean the, the other states have done this. I think Arizona is on, they don't switch their clocks. I think, are they on standard time all year or is it daylight all year? And there's one other state, it might be Indiana where the whole state or a portion of the state doesn't switch its clocks, but I'm all for that. I mean, I'm I'm all for just leaving it on daylight savings time, but we're going to have to switch our clocks on Saturday night. Um, Pat Johnson on the live stream saying, I will or, or will not say if I smoked marijuana in the 70s, but I turned out okay. Okay. <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you're like Bill Clinton. You, you smoked marijuana, but you didn't inhale. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, there's still a lot of hang ups on marijuana. And marijuana is natural, it's a plant, it's medicinal. And yeah, it has recreational uh, benefits to it, but think about all the people that are on opium, uh, uh, like like opioids, uh, on heroin that are on these. Well, fentanyl, I guess, is another form of a, of an opioid. I think, or or of a heroin derivative. There are um, other drugs like uh, oxycotton. I remember Rush Limbaugh was was uh, addicted to that, or Vicodin. Brett Favre was on that. I remember I was on Vicodin. Um, Gosh, like how long ago was that? Almost 20 years ago when I had my accident, I think I told you about it. I fell off my roof putting up my Christmas lights, which was, uh, a—I mean, I'm lucky to be here. Um, When that happened, I was gonzo for like three months. I was out of commission and uh, I was on Vicodin and I could feel the addictiveness of that. I remember it was scary. But think about if other kinds of pain relief products were available that had far less addictive qualities and still offered pain relief like marijuana, which by the way, you don't have to smoke it. You can eat it in the form of like a gummy, like a gummy bear. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits to it. It should be legal. Uh, Pat Johnson says in, in Arizona and in Hawaii, they don't use daylight savings time. So I guess, yeah, they're on standard time. That's always confusing to me, but Arizona is like half the year, they're the same as us and half the year they're off. And I always can't remember which side of the, of, the, of the fence it is. So we're going to switch to daylight savings time, which means it's going to be lighter later. Um, and we'll first feel that on Sunday. And I guess we're going to lose an hour of sleep, right, on, on Saturday night. So that's coming. Um, one of the, a couple other things I want to share. I did a podcast a couple weeks ago about Jacob Nix, the Padres pitcher, and we talked about forgiveness. And it was a really neat story about him. Remember, he was a up and coming prospect in the Padre organization. He ended up um, having, you know, uh, some was it he had difficulties. He had like an arm injury and he was in the minor leagues. And then he had one crazy night. He was out with a friend and they were drinking and they took an Uber home. And I guess in Arizona, he was at the spring training complex working out in Peoria, Arizona. He and his buddy were out drinking. They told the Uber driver their address on where they lived. Um, But the Uber driver, excuse me, in in Phoenix, a a certain street address might be repeated in other parts of the city. And so apparently this street address, there were two versions of it. Like imagine 123 Main Street, Phoenix, Arizona. There were two of them (laughs) on different parts of town. And the Uber driver took them to the wrong house. And then in their drunkenness, they tried to get into the house and they couldn't. And then he tried crawling through a doggy door. And then the owners of the house thought there was a break in and they got a gun and he almost got shot dead. And and then it was was an embarrassment because he was arrested for trying to break in and squeeze through a doggy door. And it was just a, a stupid drunken binge that ended up, you know, could have been very tragic. And he was the butt of jokes. And then he's been working to come back. Jacob Nix has really been working hard to come back and working in the uh, spring training with the Padres. And he was about to start some games. I think they had planned it, but he had more arm trouble. And they think he's going to have to have Tommy John reconstructive surgery of his elbow. It's a shame. I I was rooting for him. And so we're uh, probably aren't going to see him for a couple of years. And when he finally comes back from Tommy John, you know, he may not even come back with the Padres. Hopefully he'll catch on with someone. So he's a guy to root for. Uh, he's trying to come, you know, turn the corner and do the right thing. Um, also today, Fernando Tatis Jr. He has been out for a week with the flu. First at bat, boom, home run. This kid is amazing. So I can't wait for the season to start. Um, that's going to get going. And then, of course, tonight, the San Diego State Aztecs are in the semifinals of the Mountain West Conference basketball tournament. They won last night against Wyoming. It was way too close for comfort. Uh, Wyoming played very, very well. They shot lights out. You got to tip your hat to them. And thankfully, the, the Aztecs won by three. But it was a touch and go there through most of the second half. Um but I saw Matt Mitchell, you know, he, I follow him on Twitter and he's locked in. You know, he likes to share that before each game. And um, I'm looking forward to that. So that's at 630 tonight. They're playing Nevada and they've got Sherfield and Cambridge, two really good guards. And Steve Alford is the coach. And Nevada's a team on the rise. This is not going to be an easy game. The Aztecs beat them twice in the regular season. But one of those games they won with a buzzer beater shot by Trey Pulliam. So this is going to be a great game. And um, I'm really rooting for the Aztecs here. And then there's been more interesting developments you know, in college basketball. Duke University had another COVID case. They're shutting down their season. They're not even going to be in the NCAA tournament. But they weren't playing very well anyways. Um, Kansas, by the way, um, they won their game, I think, a night or two ago against Oklahoma. Some of their players got COVID. They're withdrawing from the Big 12 tournament. Are they going to be... Participating in the NCAA, we don't know. Could it happen? Could the NCAA tournament be canceled for the second year in a row? Oh, that'd be awful. I mean, the Aztecs have a really good team, not as good as last year, but still very good. Still a team that could make a deep run if everything goes their way. Oh, we can't let that happen again. So I'm I'm hoping that they were able to see them play. And then The last uh, kind of fun thing in the news that I noticed, at least for sports, is Michigan State University, the Spartans, right? That's uh, Tom Izzo and his basketball program. They're changing their name. And the the team is now going to be called not the Michigan State Spartans, but instead the MSU Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage. That's their team name, that whole thing. MSU Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage. So it's kind of like the LA, uh, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim is kind of what it sounds like. But now look at this. College sports are now going to have corporate, not just a corporate sponsor, but a corporate sponsor that's built into their name. I mean, this is not unlike what we see in in Japan with Japanese baseball teams. A lot of those team names are named after companies. Um. Are we going to see more of this? And, you know, there's there's a lot of money in, in, in sports and in college sports and professional sports. And, you know, in in Premier League soccer, you know, we see those jerseys out there. I mean, the team name is still like a normal team name, but the jersey has their sponsor name, you know, front and center. Are we going to see some more of this in college sports? And then, of course, if Michigan State is now the MSU Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage. What are the Aztecs going to be? And we were joking online. The SDSU Aztecs, sponsored by Soapy Joe's Car Wash, (laughs) which is one of their sponsors. Okay, so let's wrap this up. It's Friday. Um, I'm hoping you're getting ready for a great weekend. Mountain West Conference basketball tournament's going on. Switching our clocks to, to spring ahead for spring. Daylight savings time. So we're getting into the warmer weather. I know it's been a little cool this week, but um, got some closing quotes for you. And, you know, one more time, I'll just put a plea out there. Please, if you could um, like these episodes, follow um, follow us on Facebook um, or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is John Riley Poway. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. But most of all, if you can, is share these episodes. Um, share, talk about them verbally to your friends. Click on the share button on Facebook. Um, or on YouTube and, and share the love, and that's how we'll build the audience. And I can't do it without your support. Um, but I have some closing quotes, and and you know we did this. We started off this podcast talking about Pepe Le Pew and and uh, Saturday morning cartoons, and I found some really cool quotes from cartoon characters that are kind of meaningful, kind of things that make our lives better. And I thought I'd read some of these; they're really good. So one of them is from. Patrick, who is SpongeBob SquarePants' friend, Patrick the Starfish, right? And by the way, Patrick, his last name is Star, I guess like Bart Star, but with only one R. So Patrick Star, he says, sometimes we have to go deep inside ourselves to solve our problems. And that's good, you know, and a lot of times our problems can't be solved by other people. We have to look inward and solve them ourselves. And I've talked a lot about that in this podcast, especially with Catherine Cloward. We've talked a lot about getting ourselves aligned, getting ourselves right, learning about ourselves, becoming better. You know, we've done podcast episodes about journaling and and building self esteem. A lot of times, Patrick from Square, SpongeBob SquarePants, Patrick's right. Sometimes we have to go deep inside ourselves to solve our problems another one, a great one from Winnie the Pooh. And here we are quoting the philosopher Winnie the Pooh. The things that make me different are the things that make me, me. And that's a, great, that's a great line, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times that's a great message for children. It's a great message for young adults and teenagers, particularly. Sometimes young people don't want to be different because they think that makes them weird. But being different is what we all are. We are all different. Every one of us is different. We have different skills and abilities and different interests and different backgrounds and different likes and dislikes and, and different um, hobbies and th- things of interest. And we have different careers. You know, I've heard some people say that, um, you know, this whole bit about wealth inequality and income inequality, some people will say inequality— Is a wonderful thing. Inequality is a feature, not a bug, a feature of freedom. We're all different. We're all unequal, right? And I don't mean that strictly in a financial sense, but I mean that in an individual sense. We're all unique individuals and we have to embrace that and and just be who we are. And so here I'm doing a podcast. A lot of times, I'll just talk about things I want to talk about. And so I talked about cartoons. You know, here I talk about a lot of serious topics. Today, I want to have fun, talk about cartoons. I didn't want to be, you know, if I were really self-conscious, I'd say, oh, I don't want to do that. That's weird. That's not serious. But to me, it was important. Um, But yeah, Winnie the Pooh, the things that make me different are the things that make me. And then finally, um, from Finding Nemo, um, and this is Dory from Finding Nemo. I think that was voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, right? And the quote from her is just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. So I guess that's another way to say don't overthink it. Just move on. Just keep swimming. Just just keep being productive. Just keep moving and getting things done. Just keep swimming. Don't paralyze yourself with paralysis analysis. Don't dig yourself a hole and get stuck. Don't get hung up on the past. Don't get obsessed about the future or anxious about the future. Live in the moment. Just keep swimming. That's a great line from Dory from Finding Nemo. So, okay, so we, we talked about all sorts of things today. Pepe Le Pew, Saturday morning cartoons, Speedy Gonzalez, little Padres, little Aztecs, uh, Poway schools, George Floyd, a bunch of things in this podcast episode. So. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I wish you all a great Friday and a great weekend. We'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye.